turn to Esther chapter 9 tonight, Esther chapter 9. Well, I have been dealing with this. I hope that you've enjoyed this study in the book of Esther. It may not be for you. It may be for me right now at this stage of my ministry, but uh, I've sure enjoyed sharing some of the things on it. And it's, a, it's an unusual book. It's very unique in a lot of ways. I pointed that out earlier in, in the ser- series of sermons. But tonight we're at the point, what I'm going to call this sermon is the reversal. There'll just be three points to it, but everything has been building to this moment in time. There are times where God sets everything up just the right time, just the right way, and then suddenly comes that point that in a moment of time, it seems like everything reverses. But I want you to see what all's entailed with that reversal tonight. Let's begin with verse one. Verse one, chapter nine. Now in the 12th month, that is the month of Adar, on the 13th day, notice the next three words, of the same. When the king's commandment and his decree drew near to be put in execution, in the day that the enemies of the Jews hoped to have power over them, though it was turned to the contrary, there's the reversal, Turn to the contrary that the Jews had rule over them that hated them. The Jews gathered themselves together in their cities throughout all the provinces of of the king Ahasuerus to lay hand on such as sought their hurt. And no man could withstand them for the fear of them fell fell upon all the people. Go down to verse 10. The 10 sons of Haman, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of the Jews slew they, but on the spoil laid they not their hand. Let's go, if you will, into verse 15. For the Jews that were in Shushan gathered themselves together on the 14th day also of the month of Adar and slew 300 men at Shushan, but on the prey they laid not their hand. But the other Jews that were in the king's provinces gathered themselves together and stood for their lives and had rest from their enemies and slew of their foes 70 and 5,000. But they laid not their hands on the prey. Do you see that repetitious statement? On the, on the 13th day of the month of Adar and on the 14th day of the same, rested they and made it a day of gladness at feasting and gladness. But the Jews that were at Shushan assembled together on the 13th day thereof and on the 14th thereof. And on the 15th day of the same, they rested and made it a day of feasting and gladness. Therefore, the Jews of the villages that dwelt in the unwalled towns made the 14th day of the month of Adar a day of gladness and feasting and a good day and of sending portions one to another. And Mordecai wrote these things and sent letters unto all the Jews that were in all the provinces of the king Ahasuerus, both nigh and far, to establish this among them, that they should keep the 14th day of the month of Adar and the 15th day of the same yearly as the days wherein the Jews rested from their enemies and the month 
which was turned unto them from sorrow to joy and from mourning into a good day that they should make them days of feasting and joy and of sending portions one to another and gifts to the poor. I'm just gonna really give you three points out of this that I read to you and a few phrases that I think are significant tonight to maybe help us in this study. You know, there comes a time that God sets where that on a specific time, God fulfills his plan for his purpose and for his glory. That's where we're at in this account now. And really in the sermon, the title is the first point. I want you to see the great reversal that takes place here. Look how everything changed. And not only that it changed, but notice the phrase in verse one, on the same day, on the same day, for some reason that stuck in my mind as I was studying this series, on the same day. See, it seems to be significant because it's repeated throughout this entire chapter, but think about how this all changed. When you go back, if you'll go back with me in chapter three in verse seven, of all the days for this to happen, God, as he always does, could not have picked the more perfect day. Because when all of this started, they wanted to get to Mordecai and they wanted to destroy the Jews. But you know, they didn't just randomly pick a day. Back in chapter three and verse seven, the Bible says in the first month, that is the month of Nisan, in the 12th year of King Ahasuerus, they cast pur, that's P-U-R. That's where the holiday that we'll read about later is now known to the Jewish people as Purim or Param. And when you get to pure, it is nothing more than casting lots to determine your future. So that is a lot before Haman from day to day, from month to month, to the 12th month, that is the month of Adar. So when they picked the day for this decree to come out, they didn't just say, let's close our eyes and point to a day. Every day they met, every day they cast lots. Day to day, month to month, for an entire year, they were casting lots to find the lucky day. Just like you at the convenient mart. Not me and not you, I hope. But I watch them do it all the time. Day after day, they try to pick the lucky number. Now you've already got quiet on me. That makes me think I gotta stay there and preach a while. You better amen or I think you're doing it. There is something inside of evil that looks for luck. That's what I'm saying. Every time things happen in the word of God that people got themselves in trouble, they cast lots. Which is nothing more than saying, we're trying to find the lucky number, the lucky way, but you need to understand something. God's people do not operate by luck. 
I did not have to get up today and read the horoscope to find out what kind of a day I'm going to have. I didn't have to go to somebody that is supposedly psychic to tell me what kind of a day that I'm going to have. I didn't have to rely on a lucky number. I don't have to rely on a rabbit's foot in my pocket. I don't have to carry a buckeye with me everywhere I go. I don't live by luck. I live by the Lord. And God says the world is looking for luck. But you know, why do we want to look for a lucky number that'll maybe try to give us some kind of reward? If you've got Jesus, you've got more than everything in this world already. You don't need luck. You are blessed, 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 and blessed beyond measure. A year it took them to find that day. The decree went out. Months later, they're going to see it come to pass. So this wasn't something that just happened. This book, if you don't look at it in a historical sense, you'll forget the period of time that was covered. For example, from chapter two to chapter three alone, it tells us what year that King Ahasuerus was there when they were casting these lots to find the lucky day. And if you read that between chapter two and chapter three, five years passes. Now they spend a year casting lots. Another year passes looking for luck, looking for luck looking for luck. I don't have time to look for four leaf clovers. I don't mean to be hard. Why in the world would you want to rely on a system that is evil when you've got a God that is good and is in control of all things and you can say, I may not know what I'm gonna face today, but God already knows before I get up and I'm in the hollow of his hand and he's gonna take care of me. What are the chances that the very same day that it reverses is the same day they thought was lucky. Wasn't too lucky for them. Seventy-five thousand at one time died. The sons of Haman died. Think about the reversal. You remember in chapter five when we talked about he counted all of his riches and the multitude of his children? Now look at his children. They're slain. They're dead. Now look at his followers. They're gone. Wasn't too lucky for them, was it? See, that's our problem. We always look for the easy way out, the quick way out. But you need to understand God sees it all, he knows it all, and for his glory and his time, he reverses it all and turns it all around. I know that things look like they're headed in the wrong direction, and I know that there's a lot of people that feel like it's all headed in a bad way, but I've got news for you. God says we don't operate in a system that we don't know what's going on. We follow God that's aware of all of it, and there's coming a day that the world's gonna feel like they're winning out 
and the spirit of Antichrist will feel like he's winning out. But on that same day that the devil means to take us all out, Jesus said, oh, they're gonna be taken out all right, but not the way you think. It'll not be at your hand. He'll say, I'm coming to take the church home and to get them out of this world. Oh, what a glorious day when Jesus comes again. The reversal. He counted on his wealth and it's gone. He counted on ruling and he's dead. Everything is the opposite. Don't you see? God can take everything that the devil means for evil in your life and turn it around for good and the glory of God. And it can happen on the very same day that the enemy thought they were winning. That's the same day they'll suffer their greatest losses. What a reversal. Haman should have listened to his wife. She closed out and said in chapter six and said, this man Mordecai, he's a Jew. And nothing good's gonna come out of this for you. You should leave him alone, but wouldn't listen. The reversal. Notice two, verses 10, verses 15, verses 16, the phrase, the spoil, in verse 10, laid they not their hand. Verse 15, but on the prey, which the word prey is the same word as spoil, but on the prey they laid not their hand. Verse 16, but they laid not their hands on the prey. Notice not only the reversal, but notice the restraint. What do you mean? Well, they thought they were going to destroy the Jews. It reverses. The Jews now have the right by the second decree to defend themselves. Now remember, it's all a determination on one day. All good, all evil comes to a head one day. And it reverses for God's people. Even though it was there, they didn't know until that day what would happen. God didn't say you're just getting out. You still have to fight the fight. But now the second decree gave them a chance to defend themselves, as I mentioned on Sunday. So they're ready to defend themselves. But if you remember in the second decree, the royal command that went out, they also stated in that decree that since they were going in the first decree, they wanted to annihilate the Jews and take their spoils, take their stuff. And the second decree gave them that same right to take the spoils of those that they kill. But the killing wasn't, I don't want you to get the wrong idea. It's not that God is giving an eye for an eye. That's not the principle being taught here. It's the preservation of God's people from being annihilated, becoming extinct. God's watching over his people. So they are defending themselves. God gives them the right to defend themselves. And also that decree gave them the right to take the stuff of those that had come against them when they kill them. So you can not only kill them, but you can take what they've got. Three times it says they didn't lay their hand to it. They didn't lay their hand to it. They didn't lay their hand to it. Now, does that strike you odd? Oh, let me put it this way. You're walking down the street and there is a box there. 
you pick the box up and the box is full of $100 bills. Do you just set it down and walk away? (laughs) You're afraid to answer. You think it's a trick question. Of course not. You'll probably try to turn it in or try to contact the law, find out. But then after they search and they say, we're sorry, we can't find out who this money belongs to, so it's yours. How many of you would say, no thanks, I don't want it? No, I don't, I don't want it. Just, just keep it. Go ahead and keep it. I mean, it, it, by law, rightfully, it's theirs. No, just keep it. Why did they turn that down? That's what stuck in my mind. The answer is always in the word of God. The key to all of this is where Haman came from and where these people came from. They are descendants of Agag. Agag was an Amalekite. And you remember, King Saul was told with Agag that when you go and overthrow the Amalekites, the enemy, God said, take their life, but don't take their spoil. Don't take anything from them. They obtained it wrongfully. It's it's cursed. Don't take it. Well, you remember when the prophet came, the prophet Samuel came, and he says, what is this I hear, the bleeding of the sheep in my ear? And there they found out they had bound Agag and taken the spoils. God told them, kill Agag, kill the the Amalekites, don't take the spoil. You know what they did? Didn't kill them and took what God said don't take. Now here they are all this time later and they're suffering for the mistake of something they didn't take care of years ago. I'm preaching right now. There's things that you might face on down the road because you didn't take care of it today. It'll haunt you later on. It'll come back because when you don't do what God says, it can come back and be worse in the end. Here they are now. If they'd have just listened to God and you remember what what Saul said, he thought it sounded spiritual. He said, oh, but we thought that it would be good for sacrifice. That's why we've taken these sheep. And that's where the famous phrase comes, obedience is better than sacrifice. And what the Lord was saying to them, you don't determine what I want. God says, I determine what I want. God was trying to spare them at that time. Had they done what God said, there would be no need for Esther to intervene because that race of people would not have existed to fight. The, the children of God. Hmm. And the other thing is, they learn from their history. Worst thing in life. It's not going through things, it's going through things and not learning from it. The next thing, they realize as well, they go by their heritage. These are Jews. They are descendants of who? Their father, Abraham. Go back to Genesis chapter 14 and you'll find out if you read it when you go home tonight in Genesis 14, the king of Sodom wanted to reward Abram for what he had done. And he offered all of these valuables unto Abram. And you know what what Abram said? 
I will not so much as take a thread of a shoe latchet, lest someone said that ye made Abram rich. You know what he was saying? I don't want you to get the glory for what I've got. What I get, I don't know. But whatever I get, it's gonna come from the hand of God. God doesn't need evil to take care of us. God doesn't need the world to provide for us. God will take care of us. And they're saying, you're not gonna look at us and say the Jews just killed them to get their stuff. We don't want their stuff. We want liberty. We want freedom. And do you know that freedom and the fact that you can live and in a life that's not filled with fear, that's worth more than all the money of the world. To have a life that you know you've got peace and that God is on your side and that God is taking care of it, that means more than anything. Sometimes there's things offered to you, but you've gotta use some restraint and say, listen, if I take that, they're gonna use that against me later on. They're gonna hold me to accountable in some way to have me do something that I don't want to do. There's some things you're better off to do without it and to know that God's hand is on you and say, I'll trust God to feed me and clothe me and take care of me as to get it wrongfully. Restraint. Reversal comes, but you still have to restrain yourself. And then finally, notice the rejoicing. Did you see how many times It was a day of feasting and gladness. Verse 17, a day of feasting and gladness. Verse 18, verse 19, the 14th day of the month of Adar, a day of gladness and feasting. And they added to it a good day. Have you had a good day? A good day and of sending portions one to another. They add to it again. As as you read on in verse 22, they said it was a day that was so great that our day was turned from sorrow to joy, from mourning to a good day, that it was a day of feasting and joy and sending portions one to another and even gifts to the poor. Did you catch this? It started out as a day of feasting and gladness a day of feasting and gladness, and it increases then and goes from a day of feasting and gladness to a good day. Then it goes from a day of feasting and gladness to a good day and giving portions one to another, and it winds up being a day of gladness and feasting, giving portions one to another and gifts to the poor because in one day, God turned sorrow into joy. In one day, God turned everything all around for them. So now the rejoicing comes. Now, they know how to rejoice because they already practice it in the last sermon that I dealt with. They started rejoicing before they ever fought the first battle or before they ever slew the first enemy. And now they're saying, we know what to do now. We're already all practiced up. I'd hate to get to heaven and not be in practice to know how to praise God. When I get there, I'm gonna practice up before I get there. And every day, God's gonna add to it what he gave the day before. He'll add more and it'll get better and it'll get better and it'll get better. Better. Thank God I don't know about you, but I 
think it's better now than it's ever been for me. God is sweeter. Heaven is near. Home is coming. It gets better and better and better. Rejoicing. The reversal. The restraint. The rejoicing. Now, the people I find that have the greatest problems in life, this is where you tune me out. It's the people that never have a good day. Like the lady I met in church years ago, I said, how you doing? She said, even when I'm doing good, I'm doing bad because I know I'm gonna do worse later. (laughs) Never have a good day. They never, ever have a time of joy. Their life is always filled with sorrow and mourning. Their life is never filled with giving to others. Their life is never filled with blessing the poor. You say, preacher, we have poor? You must believe the Bible. When Jesus said, the poor you have with you always. There's always poor. Sometimes you can't size up all of the problems that's there. I know someone asked me here a while back, said, you all get ready to help a lot of poor people through Christmas. I said, yes, we do. And they said, well, what if they don't deserve it? Well, first of all, who determines who doesn't deserve it? I mean, that'll be in God's hand. But second of all, I don't think you ever go wrong by doing two things. I don't think you ever go wrong by giving people Bibles. I don't think you ever go wrong by giving people food. I, I don't think you'll go wrong. Somebody said, well, they'll, they'll take it and sell it. Where have you seen a roadside stand selling used food? <laughs> no, your problem is you're not full of joy and you don't want to give to help others. But I'm telling you, there's no greater feeling in all the world than giving a gift and there's no greater feeling than helping the poor. To give a gift to help one another. Yesterday, all of you that had prepared food, all of you that were there to serve, and I certainly don't mean to embarrass you, but I sure hope you felt good about that. When you left, I hope you felt good about that giving to one another. It's not always that people even need it. It's just good to do it. And the people that have the hardest times in life are the ones that have made their mind up. They're not gonna have a good day. They made their minds up. I'm never gonna be happy. They've made their minds up. I'm never gonna help anybody. They've made their minds up. I'm never gonna give anything to anybody. I'm not saying that you can't make that decision. That's your decision to make. I'm just saying there's not gonna be a lot of rejoicing in your life. And you'll spiral down to such a dark place that you'll wonder how I got there. God tells us the secret to it all. God said, my heart is this, for God so loved the world that he gave You're never gonna be healed as long as you wanna stay sick. 
You're never going to be saved as long as you want to be lost. And you're never going to be happy as long as you want to be sad. You're never going to have joy as long as you enjoy mourning more than joy. You say, well, preacher, you just act like you're on top of the world all the time. No, sometimes the world gets on top of us. But I rejoice in the fact it's not going to stay that way. There's a reversal coming. There's always a reversal coming. 